We have heard many stories about our guest speaker for this morning. The Reverend Dr. Barry Crocker is the younger brother of our senior pastor, Rick Crocker. Barry and his wife, Denise, have been married for more than 27 years and have two grown children. He is the senior pastor of Cumming Baptist Church in Cumming, Georgia, which is just north of Atlanta. As we plan to honor the Erie PA Crockers this morning for their ministry to First Alliance, it seemed fitting to invite Barry to come and set the record straight from all the stories that we've heard. More than that, he comes to honor Christ this morning by rightly dividing the word of truth for us. Will you give a warm, eerie welcome to the Reverend Dr. Barry Crocker. Thank you. Well, you know I cannot make up for 25 years of stories about me in just a few minutes. Um, I have noticed one obvious, glaring difference between Rick and I. Rick has been your pastor for 20 years. During that 20 years, I have pastored seven different churches. Baptists are just harder to get along with. <laughs> I'll guarantee you, Rick has counseled me over the year, more over the years than I've counseled him. But the glaring obvious difference is this. Staying in one place certainly helps you keep your hair. <laughs> when we were growing up, uh, Rick established his uh, eventual call to the ministry very early in life. We used to like to play army or cavalry with our neighbor friends. And behind their house was a um, grove of pine trees. And within that grove of pine trees were several open areas. And the grove of pine trees would serve as our fort for our cavalry crew. And one opening would be for our barracks and one would be for the mess hall. But always one of those areas served as the chapel. And I'm sure you can imagine this morning who our chaplain was. His name was Father Rick. And he was always the chaplain. And uh, I, I want to tell you about his uh, ministerial garb. A, a, a frock that the Archbishop of Canterbury would envy. He would wear a rug... About four feet long, I would say, from it went from his shoulders to his feet, uh, a rubber-backed rug. You know, like the kind on your bathroom floor. You know what I'm talking about. Orange in color. And then he would wear another one, same rug, smaller size, from his waist down in the back. And Rick would wander through the fort and among the troops and... Bless us and pray for us and and be sure to invite us to the mandatory chapel services. 
where he would rule and reign. About a little over three years ago, Rick gave me a book entitled Good to Great. It's a secular business management type book. And I, I want to tell you the truth this morning. I didn't start reading it until the last couple of weeks. I, I told him yesterday I probably should have started reading it immediately. It would have helped me uh, maybe not move the next time. <laughs> In this book written by Jim Collins, he had, he had a a team put together and in this book, Collins and his team devoted 15,000 hours. They studied 6,000 articles. They generated over 2,000 pages of interview transcripts with CEOs and business managers. And they created 384 million bytes of computer data. Well, what they found out was this, that the greatest factor in moving a Corporation from good to great, from average to amazing, was what they called level five leadership. Well, I'm kind of the inquisitive type, and so my question automatically arises, what is level five leadership? Well, this is how, this is how the book Good to Great defines a level five leader. It says, a level five leader is a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. It is a leader who accomplishes so much because he does not care who gets the credit. It's the leader who cares more for the organization than for himself or his image. It's the leader who asks what he can do for the company rather than the company, rather than what the company can do for him. In short, level five leadership is servant leadership. Now that's in a secular management book. What I found interesting was this, that Collins and his team took a lot of time and a lot of hard work to find out what Jesus had been teaching 2,000 years ago about servant leadership. Now, you, you've already heard the scripture from Mark chapter 10 that we're going to look at. And as we re- look at the scripture, it's not unusual for Jesus to be teaching his disciples about his impending death. He did that quite often. In fact, if you turn back just to the previous chapter, chapter 9 of Mark's gospel, he, he's telling them there that he was going to be arrested and betrayed and led away and mocked and cursed and crucified. He does it again in chapter 10. Uh, But the disciples didn't ever seem to get that. I don't know why, but they they seemed to miss that along the way. It took them a while to to figure that out. But as we read this story, and Jesus has just told them about uh, what's going to be happening to him when when they get to Jerusalem, it's amazing to me that at that point in verse 35 of our text, that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him and say, Teacher, will you, will you do whatever we ask? Hey, have you ever been bold enough to ask God something like that? you do whatever I ask? So James and John ask him, will you do this? Jesus says, well, what, what do you want me to do for you? They said, well, when you come into your kingdom, when the kingdom gets set up, 
Will you allow us to one sit on your right hand and one sit on your left hand in your kingdom? We, we want to be in the position of power. I want you to think back for a minute. If you go back to chapter 9 of Mark's Gospel, the beginning of chapter 9, James and John and Peter go with Jesus while the other nine are left behind, and they go up on the mount, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember the story. And Jesus is gloriously transformed in their presence into His heavenly glory, and as He's shown His uh, as white as snow, and the, the light was blinding to them, and Moses and Elijah appear with him, and, and Peter speaks up and he says, hey, uh, it's good for us to be here. Let, let's build three shelters, one for Jesus and one for Moses and one for Elijah. James and John don't even speak up. I mean, I, I, I kind of have the feeling James and John were just like, wow. And then a little bit later in the chapter, chapter 9, uh, Jesus again tells, as I said, tells them about his impending death. And then in verse 33 of chapter 9, they'd been walking along the road and Jesus asked them this question. What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? Now, I don't know how they normally traveled when they traveled around as the Jesus and the disciples, but obviously... The disciples were kind of in a group by themselves, and maybe Jesus was leading the way, or maybe he was behind. I don't know. But Jesus obviously overheard what they were talking about. And he says, what, what were you guys disputing about over there? But verse 34 says, but they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And then he goes on to tell them, similarly to what he told in chapter 10, hey, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be a big deal in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant of all. Jesus was setting a new paradigm for us as believers, as leaders. This is what he was saying. The, the world's high officials, they, they love to exercise authority over the people under them, but not so with you. The, the world wants power at all costs, not so with you. People want to get the upper hand on other people, no matter what that means, but not so with you. People are hungry for power, but not so with you. People in authority abuse their power, but not so with you. They use people, but not so with you. They manipulate others, but not so with you. They do anything to get ahead, but not so with you. They grab for the credit whenever they can, but not so with you. They clamor for the applause of men, but not so with you. They do what is popular, rather than what is right, 
but not so with you. You see, Jesus was saying true leaders have a higher calling than to just be seeking for power. It's a humble calling. I want to remind you what he said in verse 43 of our text. Listen to this. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. So what was Jesus telling his disciples? What's he telling us? He's saying that greatness leads to serving others. Serving others leads to greatness. Greatness doesn't lead to being served. He's saying our goal should be not to lead others. Our goal should be to serve others. We should be content to serve. Now, if that service promotes us to a place of leadership, that's okay. But that should not and cannot be our goal. Our goal is to be a servant. So so what does that have to do with First Alliance Church and Rick and Kathy and families 20 years here as your senior pastor? Everything. It has everything to do with what's happened in the last 20 years at First Alliance Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. Everything. You see, had they not been true servants, then they could have never been true leaders. And without true servant leadership, I'm convinced, and I'm not even a part of this church body, But without true servant leadership, this church would not be what it is today. You see, I know my brother. I knew him when. I knew him when he wanted to be in charge. And was in charge. Ben told me before the early service, Uh, We were talking a little bit, and he said, oh, Rick's always in charge. No question, he's in charge. When when we were kids, um, we used to like to play radio stations. I bet there's not another person in this building that ever played radio stations. Well, we did. Some of you may still have one of these in your home. We had, uh, growing up, one of those long, about four-foot-long consoles with the turntable and the radio in there and all that stuff. You remember those? Anybody still have one of those? Oh, yeah. Right next to that TV that sits down on the floor. like these. Now we hang them on the wall. So we'd play a radio station, and we'd, we'd get in front of the big console stereo, and, and we'd get out two wooden TV trays and set them up, and we'd get out a, a, a big stack of 33 vinyl albums, Bill Anderson and uh, Jimmy Dean. And who did you say last night, Ray? Dean Martin. Who was that other guy? Matzo. Who? Yeah, what he said. 
And we'd get our little microphone about this long, a little plastic microphone from our cassette recorder. Some of you young people don't even know what a cassette recorder is. And we'd have that set up on the little stand, and we'd, we'd have each have a cup of water in case our throats got dry during the broadcast. I mean, we were serious. Serious radio tears. And um, Rick was the DJ. Of course he was the DJ. And so he would play the albums, introduce the songs. Um, then we'd have a news report, and Rick would give the news report. <laughs> and then we'd have the weather report, and Rick would give the weather report. And then we'd have a update on the traffic situation, and Rick would give that. And every 30 minutes, he would slide the microphone. The master of the airwaves would slide the microphone over to me. And every 30 minutes, I would get the wonderful privilege of giving the lost dog report. I don't know why you think that's so funny. That's not funny to me. That's why I'm so messed up these days. So why do you tell us that story, Barry? I tell you that story because of this. Only a true leader can make you feel good about that. <laughs> and he did. Because every time we'd play radio station, it would be the same thing. I never got a promotion. I knew him when. You know him now. Many of you have known him for 20 plus years. He and Kathy have, and their family have served you. They've loved you. They've prayed for you. They've encouraged you. They've ministered to you. And ultimately, they have led you from good to great. I want to show you a passage of Scripture, if you don't mind turning with me over in the epistle of 1 Peter. Every once in a while, I have to read this myself just to keep my head screwed on straight. Because, you see, we as pastors, <clears throat> a lot of times, get a lot of pats on the back and a lot of adulation from people. And we we get to be in the limelight a lot and... I think it's important, and I believe with all my heart, one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit directed Peter to write this was just to remind us of some things. I want you to listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5. 
The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now, listen to what he says now. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. He doesn't say lead them. Now, I know if we want to get technical, a shepherd leads the sheep. But being a shepherd is way more than just leading the sheep. He says, shepherd the flock among you. Serving. See that word? Serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I think, I, I think Peter took to heart what Jesus told them in Mark chapter 9 and 10 and other places. The importance of being a servant. I, I, I think Peter got it. I also think Rick and Kathy got it. Uh, I have no doubt that just as we honor them today and celebrate their 20 years of servant leadership at First Alliance Church, that one day God will honor it as well. well one day Rick and Kathy will stand before their Savior. And they will be rewarded with a crown of glory that does not fade away. And they will see up close the sweetness of the smile of Jesus. And I believe they will hear these words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, I want to tell you as I close, um, as a pastor, our, our greatest joy, and that's going to be wonderful when we stand before the Lord and get the crown of glory and all that stuff. And I really believe, I, I think Revelation teaches that after we get all our rewards, we're just going to cast them at the feet of Jesus. We're not going to be walking around in heaven saying, my crown's bigger than your crown. We're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus because He's the only one worthy. But as a pastor, I, I think, and I, I think Rick would agree with me, I our greatest joy, our greatest reward in this life is that we see people that we have the privilege to serve and lead. That we see them following our example. We see their lives changing as they watch us. The Apostle Paul put it like this, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we as pastors take the greatest joy in seeing the difference that's made in the people's lives that we have the privilege to serve. You can't, you can't put a price on that. That, you, that God uses people like us to influence 
people like you. It's, it's amazing. And you as a church have, you've watched for 20 years, some of you, and longer. You've watched Rick and Kathy and their family's life. You, you, you've watched their example. You've seen their heart. You've enjoyed their ministry. You've been blessed because of their example and their service and their leadership. And I think the challenge for that I want to give to you today is that we could all follow in their footsteps. Follow their example. That, that song uh, sung this morning, you know, uh, faithful. May, may all who come behind us find us faithful. The greatest reward that I think Rick and Kathy can receive is that as they make their trek through this life, and they can every once in a while turn around and see those who are following in their footsteps. That's the greatest reward. Not a swing. Not a flagpole. As wonderful as they are. Not a check. But the wonderful blessing of knowing that your servant leadership has made a difference in the people of God for the glory of God. Would you pray with us? Father, I am so thankful today for the privilege to be a part of this celebration. Twenty years of ministry. Twenty years of servant leadership by the Crocker family at First Alliance Church. God, uh, you've taken this church from good to great through the servant leadership that you've placed over this family of believers. And God, uh, I thank you for that. I thank you for the wonderful example that they have been to this body. And Lord, may all of us aspire to be servants as you've called us all to be. And maybe one day when you separate the sheep from the goats and you look at those who've been faithful, the sheep, and you say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I needed clothes, you brought them to me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And, and, and many of us are going to say, Lord, when did we do that? We, we never did that for you. 
And you're going to look back with that wonderful smile and those glowing eyes. And you're going to so sweetly say to us, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. God, may that be our challenge this day as we honor one family of your servant leaders. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Rick to come and give a response to this message, and I know he has one. Never known him for lack of words. <laughs> well, well. It seems to me as I've thought about this weekend, uh, which I was rather much opposed to in the first place, that the simple expression, thank you, does seem to be so inadequate uh, for all the, the blessings that, and rewards that we've enjoyed in our journey with you for these last 20 years. For your kindnesses and your expressions of congratulations to us over this weekend, for everything that has been done to honor our ministry and our family, even though the words seem inadequate and insufficient. On behalf of my family, I want to say thank you. Thank you. It was so kind and thoughtful of the people who organized this weekend to invite uh, my younger brother, Barry. I'm so glad that you've had a chance to meet him and to hear him preach. And I'm especially grateful to God that all the emotional conflict that I induced and inflicted upon him during our childhood <laughs> has not been totally destructive in his life. Because of our ministries, there are very few and rare opportunities for us to be together as families. And uh, in some ways, uh, our families feel a little bit like strangers to each other. It takes a while to kind of get back in the groove again. We enjoyed a lovely time yesterday afternoon on the front porch of our home, enjoying the summer afternoon, sipping on iced tea. The Southerners, they drank theirs sweetened, and we drank ours without sugar. Uh, we enjoyed getting reacquainted with each other. Thank you for inviting Barry and his good wife, Denise, to be with us this weekend and the expense that you've gone to to bring them as our guests this weekend. It's a joy to have my mother here and uh, my stepfather, Gene. I've told you so many times from this pulpit, if it were not for a godly mother and godly grandparents, uh, I would not be standing here today. My father died at a young age, leaving my mom with two young boys to raise. And she faithfully did that. With the help of the Lord, 
And um, I, I have to believe, Mom, that though there will be heavenly rewards for your faithfulness, that in small measure, some measure, there's some reward. Seeing that uh, both of your sons love Jesus and are faithfully serving as ministers of his good gospel. Thank you for being here today. It's a special surprise to have my mother's brother, my uncle, Uncle Bill and his good wife, Pat, to be with us. When my dad died, I remember the day so clearly in May, when Uncle Bill came to our home and told us of our father's passing into glory. I won't tell you the story he told about their Bible school days together. And I remember after he told us, I went out into the pines and climbed up a tree and wept like a baby. My uncle, who's a spent his life as a minister of the gospel, always served in smaller churches, but he served his Lord faithfully over decades of ministry and is now retired. When we would go to visit, we would, uh, Barry and I and our two cousins, Mark and Lori, we would play church together. (laughs) We played radio and we played church. (laughs) Guess who got to be the preacher? <laughs> Guess who was assigned to be the janitor? <laughs> but it was the example of my Uncle Bill and his faithful service to the Lord that uh, I think prompted both Barry and I to say yes to God when he called us into Christian service. Thank you, Uncle Bill and Aunt Pat, for being here. Our two lifelong friends, Jean Parker and Bev Baker, are with us today, and we're so grateful to have you with us. You've shared so many of those milestones in our lives. Thank you for sharing this today. A word of thanks to my dear wife, Kathy, who now for 29 years has been my soulmate, my lover, my friend, and my partner in ministry. And we have enjoyed so much laughter and good times and bad She says, I've got to enjoy all the good times and she all the bad. (laughs) It's been a wonderful journey, and it's not nearly over. I'm glad to say that my heart still goes pity-pat when I see her, and to know that she's mine is one of life's great joys. For my wonderful children, Jessica, our eldest, and our twin sons, Jared and Justin, and Jared's wife, Angie, One of the extraordinary blessings of this life has been our three wonderful children and now our daughter-in-law, Angie. And we are so grateful to God for the blessing of family. So grateful to Kathy on those nights when I was called away in the middle of the night to be at the hospital in the emergency room or a meeting or a committee meeting would keep me late past the children's bedtime. Kathy was there 
to tuck them in, to say their bedtime prayers. And uh, she made up for the deficiencies in this father because of my commitments to ministry. I'm indeed grateful. I'm indeed grateful to my children for putting up with my idiosyncrasies, uh, my tendency to uh, kind of um, direct their path from time to time. And uh, they've been very patient and gracious with me uh, as their father. To all of you, some of you we've known for a long, long time. Some of you just for a short bit. Uh, We've been here for now 25 years plus, if you count our first time being here. I remember well the night that I met the late Maury Bowman, who was a member of this church. Maury was at an organ club meeting in Titusville, and I was doing a concert for them that night. And uh, afterwards, when we were sipping tea together, uh, Maury let me know that there was an opening here at First Alliance for Minister of Music and wondered if I might be interested in applying. I went home that night. Kathy was already in bed. The children were soundly asleep. I sat on the bedside, and I reached over and touched Kathy and uh said, "Hun, I think that perhaps, I don't know all this means, but I think perhaps tonight may have changed the rest of the course of our life. Little could I know how prophetic those words were, because indeed our life has, has truly changed since 1984, all for the better. It was just a few short weeks that we came and candidated and served here for two and a half years, Then God called us on, as Craig explained in her tribute to seminary. When we left here in 1986, we never imagined. It was so painful for us to say goodbye, we never imagined that we would see you all again. Can you imagine how pleased and grateful we were to God when the call was extended to us to come back and serve as your senior pastor? I don't know why in the world you called me to be your senior pastor, Some months ago, I listened to my candidating sermon here. (laughs) And had I been on the search committee, I would have rejected me out of hand. But you were gracious and apparently saw some, some wee bit of raw potential in me and decided to give me a chance. How gracious of you. And there began two decades of ministry. I realize uh, full well that what has been accomplished here has not been accomplished either through my own powers or done single-handedly. I am deeply indebted for uh, a whole company of volunteers who faithfully serve right alongside of us who are in the vocation of ministry. We could not do what we do without your support and labors of love. I'm grateful to serve alongside of some of the greatest associates, directors, and ministry staff that I think any American church has to offer. We are indeed a blessed church, and I'm a blessed individual to be able to serve with them and to kind of set the tempo from time to time to help us know where God is leading us. Thank you to all of you and your faithful service to God and to the ministry of his church. 
I also know that there are some who are not here today, either because they've moved away or God has moved them on to glory. And that in a very real sense, I and we stand upon their shoulders today. Great men of men and women of God of great faith who've inspired me and are even now as we are here in this room, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, which these dear ones who've gone on and some who are still with us on this side of the heavenly shores are praying for us. And indeed, I am most grateful for them. I think about one of them in particular. Um, I don't like to single people out for fear someone might not be mentioned, but uh, I, I remember well my, my dear friend, the late Bill Huntington, who's now with the Lord in heaven. Uh, did you know that in the hundred plus year history of First Alliance, that First Alliance has only had ten senior pastors? Quite an amazing record, actually, for over a century to only have had ten pastors. Uh, Bill Huntington would often come into my study and sit down in the armchair with his coffee in hand, and he would say, so, kind of in a, you had to know Bill to really appreciate this, so, do you think, up to that time, Emil Brinkman had the record, he'd been here 18 years, so, Rick, do you think you'll beat Emil Brinkman's record? And I'd stroke my chin and I'd say, I'm, I don't know, Bill. We'll have to see how the Lord shall lead. And he'd come back again and ask the same question and we'd go through the same dialogue. Well, Bill Huntington, if the Lord allows you to peer past the veil of heaven, I beat Amel. <laughs> My grandmother, who without question has played the largest role in my spiritual formation and development in my life, was a poet. And she taught me the love of poetry. And so I read the classic poets all the time. And some time ago I was reading the English poet Wordsworth and only as a poet can do, he said this powerful phrase. If thou indeed derive thy light from heaven, then to the measure of that heaven-born light, shine, poet, shine, shine in thy place, and be content. When I read Wordsworth's words, I twisted that gem of a phrase a bit. And I made it my own for my own calling and vocation. And said, shine, preacher, shine. Shine in thy place and be content. And so for the past 20 years, Kathy and our children and I have had the privilege of shining in this place a holy place, with all of you sharing this wonderful journey together. And I want to tell you, 
that all of this has made me very, very content. Thanks be to God, and thanks to all of you. May the peace of Christ be with you.